Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. And now, battle ready with Father Dan Rehill. Good day. Welcome to Battle Ready. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart. In union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, we have a very special guest with us. We have Charles Lemandry. He's the President and Chief Counsel of the Freedom of Conscience Defense Fund. That's a national nonprofit law firm that defends Americans' constitutional liberties, conscience rights, and the sanctity of human life. Good morning, Charles. How are you? I'm doing great, Father. Good morning to you as well. Glad to hear it. And you're coming to us from the West Coast, so it's a little bit earlier where you are. That's right. San Diego, California, but glad to be with you. Great. Now, recently, we've been hearing about this this new bill making its way through uh, Sacramento uh, court systems, uh, the 2223 bill, AB 2223. What, what can you t tell us about this bill? It's a particularly pernicious bill, uh, Father. It uh, comes as part of a, a package that uh, Governor Newsom and our very liberal California state legislature is trying to pass through to promote abortion in anticipation of a potential adverse decision uh, from the U.S. Supreme Court, adverse to them on the abortion issue. Uh, California and a number of liberal states are concerned the United States Supreme Court in the next couple of months could be cutting back substantially abortion rights, uh, potentially even overruling the uh, the decision of, uh, of Roe, you know, passed in 1973 that made abortion illegal. So the laws they're trying to uh, pass would help promote abortion, even make uh, California what they call a sanctuary state so a woman could come from these other states with stricter abortion laws and get uh, abortions in California for low cost or, or no cost, even talk about setting up a fund for women uh, to come to California. But this AB 223 is the, the worst of the uh, pieces of this legislation because basically it would allow infanticide. It has a written in it protection for uh, women and abortion providers uh, in the event of a perinatal death of an uh, infant whose mother was abortion intent. And, uh, you know, prenatal refers to before birth, perinatal refers to after birth, and it's defined variously as being either uh, hours or, or days or, or weeks. And it could even be uh, months or years, believe it or not, after the baby is born. Uh, one government publication online, uh, MedPub, uh, says perinatal refers to the period up to two years after the baby's born. But most would uh, acknowledge at least a, a couple of weeks after the baby's born would be the perinatal period. So to the extent this AB 223 allows for the perinatal death of uh, babies uh, in the womb, it, it allows uh, for the babies to basically be killed or neglected uh, to the point where they would die shortly after being born and even uh, much longer if the uh, mother decides she didn't want the baby after all. So uh, it, it really is infanticide. We know, you know, through cases like uh, Gosnell and, and uh, others that 
uh, abortionist who, for whatever reason, delivered uh, a live uh, baby unintentionally. And I'm representing David Delighton out here in California. We heard of accounts where they put the mother in the stirrups to start the abortion, and she's far enough along the baby just drops out, particularly if they gave the mother uh, drugs that would in induce the uh, premature delivery of the baby. In those cases, the baby's breathing, uh, and the baby should be entitled to full protection under the law. But yet, uh, many abortionists would see, actually most from what we uh, hear, would allow the baby to die under those circumstances. And this law protects them if they do. In fact, it allows them to sue anybody who does an inquiry into the circumstances of the death. So we believe it's clearly illegal. Uh, there's no uh, debate or doubt that uh, a baby once born is certainly a person under the law. Of course, we know better that human life uh, begins at conception and there are people that should be entitled to the full protections of the law even before birth. But given the evil state of the law and under the, uh, the road decision, uh, they're not entitled to that protection until at least they're born. But this new law would not even give them the protection after they're born. Uh, so uh, that's why it needs to be fought. They uh, recently amended it to say that the perinatal death has to be related to the pregnancy. That's still pretty vague and overbroad. What does that mean? Uh, again, if the uh, mother was abortion intent, they would consider that uh, probably related to the uh, pregnancy, even if uh, the infant is uh, is born and survives for you know hours or, or, or potentially uh, days or weeks. So we don't know what that means. I think it's unconstitutionally vague. Probably it's intended to stop the situation where they could kill the baby, you know, months or, or even two years uh, later. Uh, but it certainly is not going to protect the baby uh, that in most cases uh, is an inadvertent uh, uh, live birth uh, on an abortion intent uh, uh, mother. And uh, we don't think that that uh, amendment uh, is going to do a tremendous amount of good. So uh, anyhow, that's AB 223, and uh, it, it's one of the worst examples we have seen of the abortion uh, movement. And, you know, it, it lays, I think, bare the claim that, you know, we're really talking about a clump of cells, we're talking about abortion, or uh, we're, the uh, fetus, you know, is not going to experience any pain. We now know that never mattered to the other side. Those were just talking points. Because clearly uh, a born alive infant is a human being in all respects uh, protected under the law, under federal law with the Born Infant Alive Protection Act even under the California Constitution, which, which guarantees protection of, of, uh, of the life of any person. Uh, so they don't care about the law. They don't care about whether it's a person or not. They don't care about whether that person is going to experience uh, any type of pain. So uh, it's a terrible law, and uh, we intend, if it does pass, and hopefully it will not, uh, to uh, challenge it in the courts as soon as possible. <clears throat> so in case for the people listening, just to summarize this, this, this would allow that if you uh, give birth to a baby and you don't want the baby, that you can just neglect the baby to the point of death up to weeks after giving birth. You can just put the baby outside naked and not feed it for a week and, until it dies. And that would be considered legal. Not only is it legal, if you try to press charges against that woman for doing that, you will have criminal penalties against yourself. It This is beyond humanity i can't believe we live in a country that is actually considering such a horrible and disgusting way to end a life it, not not that, not to mention that we're ending a life but that it's so inhumane 
it's we it's wouldn't barbaric. treat dogs. We wouldn't treat dogs like this. No, and of course they don't. You got organizations like PETA and such that would uh, never allow that. And you know they did prosecute uh, Gosnell for uh, what did he clip the spinal cords of uh, newborn infants that were born alive, and that was considered murder. And uh, everybody was uh, repulsed by that. But now all of a sudden that would be completely legal in California, basically. Uh, so uh, it can't be allowed to go forward. It, it's a react, a knee jerk reaction on the part of these liberal politicians in Sacramento, uh, basically trying to stick the finger in the eye of uh, any conservatives or any people of faith or any people of goodwill or any reasonable person who wants to cut back on, on Roe v. Wade, which has been so uh, abused. Uh, and they're saying, well, we're going to go in the complete other direction. Now, the good news is a number of uh, uh, other uh, states <clears throat> have passed uh, laws like the Mississippi uh, ban on uh, abortion that's up before the U.S. Supreme Court in the Dobbs case. We see that in, in uh, Kentucky, uh, Florida, Oklahoma. Uh, so whereas uh, states like California have gone to the uh, far left uh, ex extreme beyond all reason, uh, other states have um, basically taken uh, an approach that is pro-life. Uh, but really, the, the big um, determining factor here is going to be what happens at the U.S. Supreme Court in the Dobbs case with the uh, Mississippi law. So uh, all this is in response to that in anticipation of uh, hopefully uh, good news from the U.S. Supreme Court for the pro-life movement in the Dobbs case. And, you know, it, it's worth mentioning once again, another this is, Gavin Newsom claims to be a Catholic. So it's another yeah. heretical Catholic at the helm trying to destroy life. Now, Shut. here's the kicker on this. I did a little research last night as well. And in 2006, in January 2006, California passed a law called the safety a safely surrendered baby law, which says that any child that's born in California uh, up to three days after that birth, you can just take the baby to any uh, hospital, fire station, or police station, and they will take the baby in and get the baby uh, a parents through adoption and or uh, housing through the, the system until it is adopted. Uh, no questions asked, no penalties, no problem. So you have already a law that would take the baby and find a home for the baby with no cost to the mother, why would they add this new law on top of that? Again, I, I believe it's it's a largely uh, an emotional and uh, evil intended uh, response to uh, an anticipation that Roe v. Wade uh, could be overruled or significantly uh, cut back. Uh, the timing would suggest uh, nothing uh, other than that. And not only are there laws that uh, protect uh, women who give up their baby under the circumstances you just uh, explained, but also under California Medi-Cal laws, the hospitals have to take uh, babies uh, for uh, free or very low cost, depending upon whether the parent has any income uh, for any type of emergency care or, or you know, even like a longer term uh, care. So there's no reason why uh, someone would have their baby uh, killed under those circumstances when they could either give the baby up or get uh, free medical care uh, for the baby, and that goes for illegal aliens as well. Uh, so it really is as as bad as can be imagined in terms of passing this law in the face of uh, other laws that would give women uh, options to keep the baby alive without even having to assume any real responsibility or, or pay any uh, money for its care. <coughs> Just pernicious uh, in every way, <coughs> shape, right. and form. Okay, so 
it is. Oh, absolutely. It's all coming from hell. Uh, so what you had a few other things you wanted to talk about today. What else do you bring us? Well, when we uh, spoke briefly yesterday, Father, I had uh, mentioned when looking at the calendar that uh, today is the exact one year anniversary of a, a very important uh, case that by the grace of God, we were successful at the United States Supreme Court. As everybody knows, we had these national lockdowns during the pandemic. Uh, and California was one of the most restrictive states, I think only second worst in the nation with the uh, lockdowns on churches other than uh, Hawaii. But of course, California, we have 40 million people that were locked out of the churches. They were locked out of the churches when uh, Costco was open and other big retail stores were open. Marijuana uh, dispensaries were open. Of course, uh, abortion centers uh, were open, liquor stores, bike shops, you, you name it. But you couldn't go to uh, church. So we went to the United States Supreme Court three times. The first time was in uh, May of, of 2020 when the pandemic was still kind of new and Justice Ginsburg was still on the court and we lost uh, five to four. Uh, but we uh, went back through the court system, uh, built our record, got some great expert uh, declarations on how going to church was no more dangerous than basically going uh, anywhere else and had some uh, uh, studies of Catholic masses where there really were no super spreading events, despite the hysteria and lies the other side was telling. Excuse me, Father. <clears throat> so uh, we went back up to the court and were successful in February 2021. Of course, at this point, uh, Justice Ginsburg had uh, passed away and was re replaced by uh, a, a new uh, justice, and uh, we were able to prevail six to three at the United States Supreme Court. But it was on April 26, 2021, a, a year ago to the uh, date that the United States Supreme Court, uh, what we call vacated or dismissed the uh, decision of the liberal Ninth Circuit, which uh, denied us the relief that we sought to open the churches. Uh, in any event, um, we, we were obviously very pleased that we were able to get the churches open for 40 million uh, people. And it, it took, as I said, actually not just two, but three trips to the United States Supreme Court. We had three of those cases ongoing at the same time. Uh, one of them was for an evangelical pastor uh, named uh, uh, Pastor MacArthur in Los Angeles. And he's well known in evangelical circles because he's got a big seminary on his uh, property. And he's been, his church is a mega church. It has uh, something like 9,000 uh, people that attend. And uh, it has uh, been in uh, existence up there for 65 years, I guess he's been, he's been practicing for 65 years up there. So he's extremely well known. He's a media personality. And they went after him with a vengeance because he was very outspoken against the restrictions on the, on the churches. And I, I kind of, you know, I'm ashamed to say our, our, our Catholic bishops were not nearly uh, as outspoken. Uh, in California on the issue. And uh, they threatened him with uh, $1,000 day fines, they being the government in uh, in California, uh, specifically the county of Los Angeles. Uh, they threatened him with uh, contempt of court and, and being uh, put in jail. They, they tried to uh, terminate a parking lot, lease a victim from his uh, property they had been using for, I think, 27 years there. Uh, they did everything uh, really humanly possible in order to evict him. But again, by the grace of God, with these uh, Supreme Court victories, uh, even though uh, he was scheduled to have to go to court to be held in contempt, which probably would have happened because he was violating the orders. He was continuing to have services. We had 9,000 people showing up, you know, stand your room only on Sundays. And uh, nobody, well, not, no, he did not require masks. Uh, most people were not wearing them. Some people chose to, that's fine. 
and of course, there's no social distancing since everybody is packed in. So uh, the county of uh, Los Angeles, some of the people on the board of supervisors, they were going uh, ballistic, particularly since he didn't hold back when, when preaching uh, against uh, issues like same-sex marriage, homosexuality, abortion, and uh, the, the liberal politicians, uh, of course, didn't want any of that, and they tried to make an example of him. But again, by the grace of God, uh, we prevailed, and he uh, not only... Uh, was victorious in the lawsuit, the county ended up having to pay all his, his attorney's fees because we vindicated at the U.S. Supreme Court the constitutional rights of all people of faith to be able to uh, practice their faith. And as the Supreme Court said, even during the pandemic, constitutional rights are not suspended. And uh, the, the court said the governor, uh, Newsom of California, failed to appreciate uh, the magnitude of the constitutional you know, interests involved. And that came from uh, Chief Justice Roberts, who initially voted against us when we went up there uh, in May of 2020. But when we went back in February 2021, said, you know, an emergency can't last forever, uh, and you, you can't strip people of their constitutional rights to practice their religion, particularly when you're letting people who don't have a constitutional right to uh, go to the uh, uh, supermarkets or retail stores or get marijuana dispensaries, uh, but yet only uh, basically people of faith are shut out of the churches. So, those were big wins, and again, uh, that that ended officially a year ago today, so it's kind of worth celebrating, and I'm glad I have the opportunity, uh, Father, to share that with you today. Well, that's wonderful. Congratulations. And so going forward, does this mean that uh, if there should be another pandemic, that, that, that nobody is allowed to close the churches? Yes, good question. And it, what it does mean is, if there is another pandemic, God forbid, or anything else, an emergency that would require uh, massive uh, closures in society or lockdowns, you can't treat churches any different from comparable activities. And comparable activities really includes uh, any type of uh, public uh, gathering, in including Costco. So if you're uh, going to keep Costco open, you got to keep uh, churches open. I'm not picking on Costco, but I mean, they're, uh, at least out here, probably the biggest uh, retail uh, outlet. Uh, that has, you know, the most people uh, in there at any one time uh, in a non-church situation. So um, you, you're you going to have to sh shut down everything uh, if you're going to shut down the churches. And we know they're not going to do that. You know, they're certainly right. not going to shut down the abortion centers and, and, and uh, liquor stores and marijuana dispensaries. So that's the good news. And that's the legal precedent that's been set by this case. Right, right. Yeah. And, and of course, the French laundry didn't get shut down. No. Excuse me, Father, drinking some coffee. Of course not. You know, that's something <laughs> Newton wanted for himself. These people are hypocrites. You know, we know that. We saw uh, Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, uh, getting her hair done without a mask on. And we saw uh, Newsom celebrating with his friends at French uh, Laundry. But yet they will uh, uh, be, go aggressively after anyone else who uh, dares to defy their, their tyrannical uh, mandates. Uh, so... Yes, we exposed all that. I think some good came out of it. I think some people had their their eyes opened. Uh, those who cared to see, anyhow, uh, those who want to go along with the agenda, they'll they'll let these liberal politicians do whatever they want. But for most of us, I think, and that was the encouraging thing. Uh, even in liberal California, uh, most people are not on board. And once they're educated about what's really going on and what their rights are, they'll stand up for those rights. And we've seen that uh, time and time again. And that's the encouraging thing. The heart of America is, is, is still good, but uh, people need the leadership. And uh, 
because of people like you, more people are becoming aware and, and standing up for their rights. So, again, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, put a spotlight on some of these important issues. So thank you for that. We, we have to because it's just not being talked about on the mainstream media uh, sites. You don't hear anything. And that's how they do it. They sneak these things through, uh, they suddenly pass, and then the outrage comes and it's too late. Uh, you know what, one thing I did take away, uh, many of the bishops I've listened to, not all of them, but many of them said they really kind of learned their lesson uh, from closing and thought, looking backwards now, that that was a terrible mistake to stop the people from getting to the sacraments. Uh, so uh, that I think makes that's me right. very hopeful. You know, a local that, pastor got up and apologized to the congregation and tearfully said, I will never deprive you of the Eucharist again. Uh, that, that, that was wrong. Uh, you know, we, we thought we were doing the right thing, but it was the wrong thing, and it will never happen. He, he was in tears, uh, yeah. and that was quite moving. And uh, I, I think you're right. I think some good came of it, that people realized, uh, those who <laughs> care about these seats, that there's, uh, I think, enough of us, uh, including a lot of your uh, listeners, uh, if anything, develop uh, more of a sense of appreciation for the Eucharist having been deprived of it. Yeah, and we're entering a time, I think it's a three-year uh a devotion to the Eucharist that the USCCB is about to roll out, uh, long overdue. Uh, so hopefully this will be, uh, you know, a, a new appreciation and love for the Blessed Sacrament. Uh, we only have a few minutes left. Is there anything else we should be praying about during uh, this year of 2022? Well, you know, as we were talking, it came, came to mind the, the first case we really got involved in on religious liberty involved this large memorial cross in San Diego, it was called Mount Soledad, the highest uh, point in the in the city. And this uh, cross, it was a memorial cross built by veterans returning from uh, the Korean War. And it was there since 1954. Then an atheist showed up in 1989 and said he was offended by it. And that spawned, believe it or not, 27 years of litigation, of which I was uh, lead counsel for the last 12 years and ended up going to the U.S. Supreme Court and ended up having three acts of Congress passed to uh, elections uh, by the people of San Diego, uh, of which passed 76% both times to preserve the, the Memorial Cross. But the reason I mention it is because it was only when uh, talk radio got involved in the issue and people became uh, educated that we were able to get real traction. And when I got involved in 2004, a decision was made by the city to throw in the towel and remove the cross. But because we got uh, the public engaged and told them what was happening, and people love that memorial. People go up there and they, they have uh, weddings up there and anniversaries, all different kinds of celebrations because it's a beautiful scenic overlook of the Pacific Ocean. You see all of downtown San Diego. It's one of those visited places. The public got engaged, and that caused the politicians to act even to the extent where they said we had uh, three acts of Congress, and uh, it went uh, all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. And only because uh, the public was informed and, and they cared enough about the issue to let the politicians know uh, how they felt about it. And that has to happen on all of these issues, including this AB 223. Uh, if there is a, a, a large uh, response from the public, the politicians uh, will listen, if for no other reason, uh, out of their own self-interest. They don't want to get voted out of office. So uh, that was the message I would want to leave your listeners you know, to be engaged, uh, make phone calls to the politicians, uh, send letters, send emails, uh, do uh, whatever it takes and, and to uh, motivate uh, others to do so and, and teach your kids to do that. We need a, a concerned, informed and active citizenry 
if we're going to be able to preserve the rights that our founding fathers gave us. Yeah, I have a friend up in Boston who she she did that years ago. She wrote to every uh, politician in the country expressing how grave a sin abortion is. Then she wrote to all the bishops. And the strangest thing happened. You know, she sued Planned Parenthood in uh, Massachusetts and it wound up going to the Supreme Court and she testified in Supreme Court about that law that kept people back, I think, two or three hundred feet from the the mill. Uh, And she won. She won. I I think a lot of it had to do with her tenacity in all the behind the scenes work that the Lord honored that and she put her right up to the front. Well, that's right. Yeah. Got, when things seemed most hopeless, as they did when I got involved in this case and the cross was going to uh, come down and it looked like there was no avenue and uh, and prayed fervently, uh, so t- have me back to your show sometime. I'll tell you about the miraculous novena that was done and how it was on the 54th day of a miraculous novena that this legislation passed in an unscheduled vote through the U.S. Senate. And in the Senate at the time was uh, with Joe Biden and Ted Kennedy and Barack Obama, uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, 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 Joe, Joe Biden, I think I mentioned John Kerry, uh, uh, all the usual suspects, but yet it passed miraculously without any dissenting votes and a non-scheduled vote on the 54th day of a 54-day novena. I saw God's hand uh, miraculously working. I've been practicing law for 40 years, so there's nothing that that comes close to what happened in that case when uh, people of faith got together and, and prayed fervently. Well, we'll do that. We will have you back. It was a pleasure to have you on today. Thank you for educating us and updating us on all these very, very, very important issues that we must be praying for and also writing to your uh, to the congressmen and the senators about these things. Uh, thank you so much, Charles. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Father. God You're bless. welcome. And may the blessing of Almighty God come down upon you and remain with you forever in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy, and of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. This Amen. is Father Dan signing off. 